Hello you lovely lot and welcome to today's episode with the wonderful Nikki from the charity Scotty's Little Soldiers. It's an emotional one today but it's a very important episode that I think you will all gain a lot from. But first a message from the RBL. The Royal British Legion have been the national champions of remembrance for a hundred years but they're about so much more than just poppies. They're here 365 days a year to support us and our families. Whether it's helping to ease the transition for your family into civilian life with finance and employment advice, or helping you get your business off the ground, they've got your back. Visit their website, rbl.org.uk, for more information. And thank you to the British Legion for supporting this podcast. It wouldn't be possible without them. So today I've been chatting to Nikki, Scotty's Little Soldiers charity founder and widow of Corporal Lee Scott. Scotty's support all bereaved British forces children from all services and is an amazing project. As you can imagine, the following interview includes references to death and repatriation. So a huge thank you to Nikki for sharing such a personal story with us. Hello, Nikki. It is so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming to talk to me today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's so good for you. I've got friends who have been raving about you and singing your praises. So first off, could you please introduce yourself and the wonderful charity? So I'm Nikki Scott and I'm founder of Scotty's Little Soldiers, uh, which is a charity dedicated to supporting bereaved British Forces children. And it's brilliant. There's a little quote on your website that says, Gotti's provides opportunities for children to smile again, which I think sums up the charity so well. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I love that. And actually one of our little strap lines or hashtags, as you say, is help their children smile, because that's kind of where the idea of the charity all started. So after my husband Lee was killed in Afghan, I took my two children, Kai and Brooke, away on holiday and it was on that holiday, oh, the last thing I wanted to do, it was about nine months after he'd been killed and I did not want to go. The thought of going on holiday, you know, and seeing happy families, you know, and the thought of being a single mum at the airport with my luggage and my kids, it was just like, I don't want to go. But my cousins made me, literally. And now when I look back, I think it's the best thing I could have done because that was when I saw Kai, who was five, as I say, smile and laugh and relax And that's kind of where the idea of the charity came from, to be honest. So I started to wonder how many other children, you know, had experienced the death of a parent who had served our country and hadn't been given that opportunity like Kai to smile. So at Scotty's, our first programme, I guess we have four programmes, but the first one is called Smiles. And it is all about just letting the children and young people know it's all right to smile. It's all right to have fun. There's no need to feel guilty you know, life can go on and you can have some good times and make some new happy memories. So, and we do that in various different ways. So there's group events, we have holiday homes and offer like Scotty breaks so they can go away on a break and have that time out. We do competitions, we send birthday presents and gifts and vouchers at really difficult times of the year. So it might be the anniversary of their parents' death and we'll send them a voucher just to say, you know, we haven't forgotten and we're remembering you, but go and have some fun spending this voucher on yourself and it's just engaging with them through that smiles program so that they build up that community again with us and trust us so then when the tough times really come we can step in and provide that service as well yeah and probably gives them just some space to 
think about it it's a safe space to think about it and for it to be okay to think about it definitely and having that chance to have some fun with other children and young people who have also been through that experience you know and really understand you know when you're in the military world you know it's like now whenever I meet up with any of my friends that had husbands that served or the girls that served themselves that I knew you know you can be apart for years and years and as soon as you get back together it's like god it's like I saw you yesterday you know that connection that and you see that in the children with their friendships you know they might meet at like a Scotty Christmas party and even though it's not therapeutic event they all know why they're there and the thing that they've got in common and you find those special friendships develop and then you see them the next time you do a group event or you hear that that family are going on holiday of another family and you just think you know that's huge because although they're having fun they're laughing they're relaxing like you say in that safe space they're building them lifetime friendships that I know my daughter Brooke for example has got a friend called Ben who I know she speaks to every week without doubt they met at a Christmas party and I never forget she said to me mum did you did you know Ben's dad died in Afghanistan as well when he was a baby and I said oh yeah I did Brooke but how did how did you know that and she was like oh we just chatting at the Christmas party and I thought those conversations are happening at the Christmas party even though it's all about having fun and it's about raising smiles and having a laugh so it all the fun stuff we do behind it there's a reason why we're doing it you know there's a bigger reason so yeah yeah and having that thing in common that unspoken thing that you never have to explain to anybody because they just get it straight away yeah And for Scottish, you know, we have children and young people who, you know, for example, my own children, their dad was killed in Afghanistan. And there's quite a few children with parents that were killed on tour. But there's also children that their dads died through an illness or an accident or they took their own life. You know, there's so many different situations, but the children, it doesn't matter to them. Do you know what I mean? It's like the connection they've got is that they served our country And that's what they love, I think, the fact that they just get it. They're from that military community again that, you know, most of them have moved away from home and stuff. You know, when someone dies, you have to move out of your military quarter or something. So bring that back, that community back is so special. Because that's the thing. If you're deeply ingrained in this military community, for like us, we live in a married quarter and my entire life evolves around the military community, despite my best efforts. It's just the way that it is. And I, I like it now and I'm embracing it and it's good. But to think that we would have to leave our house and if I had children, we'd be moving schools and all that upheaval, probably the worst time ever. Gosh, it must be an awful lot for children. How do you manage that and how do you support people like that as Scotties? Yes, it's really hard. I obviously know from a personal what I did and then, you know, the more families you get to know through the charity, you realise there's so many different situations. It's not one fits all, you know, everyone's got their own way of doing it. There's no right or wrong. And that's the biggest piece of advice I give to someone when they ask me. I was like, there's no right or wrong. Like no one got taught how to deal with (laughs) this, you know, you don't get prepared for this. So I just try and be honest. And, you know, I stayed in my married quarter for about a year, I think, I went through the different phases, you know, and I went through an anger where I was like, I'm staying here because this is where my memories of Lee are. And while I'm here, no one's going to forget us. You know, while I'm walking around the garrison, no one's going to forget as if they ever would. And then time just went on and I thought, I really wanted Kyanbrook to know where their dad, where they were from, you know, to know that environment and to know what their dad did and feel that pride. But I actually thought, oh, I actually don't need to maybe rub it in Kai's face so much. So, you know, you've got welcome home banners on people's houses and things and I just and he was coming home from school and saying oh Thomas's dad's just got back from Afghan why didn't mine and you were having those conversations a lot more and I was just thinking do you know what 
I can teach you other ways about the military without being in this community. But I didn't want to leave. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like you. I loved it. Absolutely loved the social life of it. Had some amazing friends. I was just like, I don't want to leave. This is my home. This is where I was with Lee. This is where Brooke was born. You know, I was... And then the long-term thinking was, do you know what? In a few years, most of my friends probably would have moved to another town. And I just felt like maybe I just need to go back home to be near my support network of my family and Lee's dad as well. So I made that tough decision, but it is not easy. And those big decisions are the ones where you want to ask your husband, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? All those big decisions in the early days, it's like, oh my God, I'm having to make this on my own. Like I, I would think, what would Lee say? But I've never had to make such big decisions. And if I have, they've always been with Lee. And that's kind of a kick in the teeth a bit. You know, you're on your own now, Nick, like you've got to do this. But yeah, I made the decision that I'd go back home and be near my family. But I know lots of families choose to stay settled there. So, you know, there's no right or wrong, but it is tough. And the whole school thing, that is a massive thing that we see at the charity as well. You know, for Kai, he was so young, so he was five. But he was in a school where, you know, 90% of the children were forces children. The teachers were married to serving personnel, you know. So to then come out of that school and go to a little village school where I moved to, where no one else's parents had even, as far as I know, I don't think they'd even been bereaved in that school, you know, in his class, let alone served in the military. So it was quite an eye opener. You know, it's a real tough time. And I know there are a lot of children that we support as Scotties now, and we're trying to do a big piece of work around it, to be honest, to make sure schools are aware, A, aware that they've got a bereaved forces child in their system, and then just putting things in place, like, you know, having a card so you can say, you can hold it up and just remove yourself from the classroom if there's a subject, especially senior schools, we're seeing it all the time, where you speak to the school and they're not even aware they had a bereaved service child in their attendance. You think, what? How can they not be? But it honestly does happen. And And you're just thinking that child has just sat through that whole lesson about remembrance or World War II or, you know, all the the history and RE. And there's all different things where your military comes into play or the type of death, you know, your mum or dad had. They come up in conversations and it's just really tough. I'm quite lucky. And Brooke, for example, has just started high school. She's a very confident girl, will talk about her dad and be very Yeah, my dad was killed in Afghanistan. I'm so proud of him. He served our country. She will get up and say, I want to leave the classroom. Or she'll get up and say, oh, did you know my dad served in the art? (laughs) You know, but there are so many children, rightly so, that haven't got that confidence and actually really don't want to have to retell their story to the whole class again. And so they just sit there and it's just really sad. And so we're trying to work when the children move from primary school to secondary school, that transition, we're providing them with a pack, which is very much teaching them or giving them some guidance, some ideas of, you know, these are things that might help you think about these things before you go to that senior school and how you might approach those different situations that might come up. And, you know, just trying to make sure the children and young people are aware of different things that might come up. It's a very interesting situation, I think, with schools, with the moving schools, but there is so much that we can do to help support them. And in turn, it's going to help children whose parents weren't necessarily serving, but they've still experienced that too. So, yeah, it's a fantastic thing to do because these people have, well, some of them have sacrificed themselves for this country and therefore you always say you've got to look after their children. But I want to highlight that it's not just those who in action and that you look after all children whose parents have died. Yeah, definitely. From the start, I remember actually having the conversation. 
I've had this crazy idea about, you know, there seems to be very limited support for bereaved forces children, you know, some great UK military charities, but actually there's very limited support for the children. So I've had this idea, I don't know how I'm going to do it, blah, blah, blah. My family must have thought, oh, here we go. She's really grieving. She's like, she's going to set up a charity now. But actually, I remember my visiting officer saying to me at the time, do you know, Nikki, if you're going to do this, you really need to make it clear it's for any child that has experienced the death of a parent who served our country. Because he said he had a good friend, you know, had done his tours and went out and had an accident on a motorbike and was killed. And he said the support was very different to those who were killed on tour. He highlighted that to me. So from the off, I was like, yeah, without a doubt, just doesn't matter to Scott. It's the same as, you know, Army, RAF, Navy. You know, if, if your parent has served the country, then like you say, we should be looking after their children. So yeah, it's a really good thing to highlight. And I will definitely be sharing all of this with everybody that listens on all the social media so they know how to find you. Because I think that it's important that people know this. So I was gonna talk about Lee, if that's okay. Yeah, I love talking about Lee, so. <laughs> I want to know what he was like because obviously his legacy is so epic he was epic as well (laughs) no he was like he was only 26 when he was killed and I always have that in my mind of like for me that's so young and he as a person was so full of life he was the fun parent like you know there's always one isn't there and I was the oh no I don't think we should do this oh oh, no that's not right oh no it's not safe oh no we should save our money and Lee was the complete opposite of come on, let's do it. Let's go out. Let's go here. Let's do this. Any opportunity. And I get the vibe that he'd always been like that. So I'd known him since he was 18. Very social, bit of a prankster with his friends, I think. Probably annoying sometimes. I got that vibe. (laughs) It was sometimes quite annoying. But just a complete, everybody's friends, you know, everyone knew him. Funny. But there was a real love inside to Lee as well. And that he would be that person that gave his last tenor to someone if they really needed it. And he fought a lot of them, you know, it was just and a brilliant dad like I couldn't have asked for better obviously he has his moment you know like everyone I'm not gonna say he was like an angel but I yeah I remember my mate saying to me god you don't know how lucky you are I can't believe he does all that for you like and I'd be like this is normal isn't it and she's like no <laughs> he does the nappies and the night feeds and he goes here and there and doesn't have to be asked that's amazing yeah he was just full of life real fun and what was he making you doing all this I think he'd be chuffed. I always say that, you know, if Scotty's had been around when Lee was alive, I can guarantee he would have been fundraising for it or supporting it, you know. When um, he was killed and we'd done some fundraising to raise money to buy a bench in Tidworth, Lee was buried back home in Norfolk, where I knew that I would probably eventually go. But I felt at that time I needed something in Tidworth, where we were based, for the lads as well to be able to go to. So we raised money for a bench to be put in the Tidworth Cemetery. And we had like £5,000 left over. The support was just incredible. People just wanted to help, you know, and wanted to give. And that money sat in my bank account, in like a savings account, because I'd been looking for, this was before the holiday, and I'd been looking for a military charity, but also a child's charity, because I wanted to give that money. I knew, you know, Lee loved the military, but he loved his children. So actually that money was used to start Scotty's. And I always just think that, he now would be 100% behind it. And I hope that he, lo- he loved a bit of the limelight anyway. You know, I remember on the day of his funeral, I remember sitting in the funeral ca- in one of the cars and I had Kai and Brooke with me. And I remember thinking, if Kai remembers anything from today, I want it to be this moment. So I said to him, look at all these people, Kai, like 
the shops are shut, they're lying in the streets. I said, look, there's a police bike and car in front of us. I was like, these people have all stopped. Do you know why they've stopped? And he said, no. And I said, for your daddy, because your daddy's a hero. And as upsetting as it all was, I just remember that pride feeling, you know, and also in the back of my mind, I was like, oh my God, Lee would be loving this. Look, it's got the road shut for him. <laughs> it's got police escort. It was that kind of, yeah, I think he'd be very proud and loving it. Yeah, the centre of attention, I'm quite right too. So you touched there on the funeral, and obviously because we are all military partners listening to this, and it's something that some of us know. I don't, thank goodness, I don't know. But we've imagined it. For those of us who had our partners in Afghanistan, 2009 was, gosh, there's a few years there that was just heart-wrenching as a partner. My husband was posted at RF Lyon where the repatriations came in. I wanted to kind of ask you, purely because my experience of Afghanistan was watching the repatriations and being surrounded by the bikers and the people in the streets and the road closures and driving through Witten Bassett, thousands of people, and then having to live this RAF existence with my partner deployed and, you know, that weird balance that we have. But you were in the centre of it and I was so conscious of the pressure and the the fact that the entire country was focused on this little tiny village and you being one of the families must have been so intense. So I was wondering if you had memories of that that you wanted to share at all. Yeah, I definitely do. It's a really, Lee's death was obviously such a tragedy and heart-wrenching, you know, and, and it has, well, it's still today, even though it's years on, you know, it affects me at different times, you know, and you can be brought back to something in a flash, you know, like like any person that's lost someone really special to them will know. And But actually, weirdly, because it does sound weird, Wooten Bassett, I almost think of it and smile, which is probably a bit strange because it was the worst time in my life, without doubt. And it was one of the hardest days of my life. In fact, I say repatriation to me personally was harder than his funeral because as a military wife, I don't know about anyone else, but me and my friends definitely, from the moment they left for Afghan, we were planning the coming home, you know, oh, what are you going to wear? I'm going to lose a bit of weight. I'm going to order these shoes. <laughs> like It's really silly, but they're things that go through your brain, aren't they? And repatriation was, you know, that coming home was the coming home parade for me and Lee, but that was not how I pictured it in my head, obviously. And so it was a really hard, really hard day. And it was also the first you know, it was Lee coming back and it was the first, you know, you're told the news and then there's constant, there is constant people in your house, things you have to sort out, things you wouldn't even imagine having to sort out, you know, like his wages, the house rent and all the changes to do with finance that you really can't give a flying, you know, about because you're just focused on Lee and what's happening with Lee and, and I want to be with Lee and you know what happened who can tell me you know but there's things you've got to deal with that your visiting officer is there obviously to support you with and you know luckily I had an incredible one that I'm still close to now but with the repatriation that was the first thing that I had to almost be on show almost isn't it because you it's in the papers and you're I remember saying to my mum, I don't want Kai in the house while I'm talking to the Padre. I don't want Kai to hear all this stuff all the time. Everything's so negative and dark. And it's obviously that first week. So it's clearly all, you know, so upsetting. People coming in and out and there's people crying, which is totally right. And I wasn't hiding any of that from Kai, but there were some things when I was like, I can't do this with Kai in the room. And my mum was amazing. And she, like, she stayed with me for quite a few weeks and she took Kai out. And I remember she popped him in his car, in the car, went off out 
And she was like, yeah, I'm just going to give him a break. And then when she came back, she was like, I don't believe it. Like I literally had the radio on and then the news came on and it was like Taliban have, you know, and, and then I went into the shop to buy him some sweeties. And as we paid at the counter, Lee's face is on the front of the newspaper that's on the counter. And she said, literally just taking him out to the park. I feel like I've just let him down a little bit. And I was like, mom, it's not, you know, this is what's happened, but it felt like it was everywhere. You literally felt like you were in a bubble being watched and it was just really difficult. And it was the patuation that was the first time where, you know, you're out there, but it's also a weird, it's like the unspoken, no one speaks about it. It's very strange now, like they ask me about funerals and they don't ask about that. And, you know, for me, I remember that the plane landed and there was eight that came off that day and Lee was the first that came off the plane. And I remember smiling to myself again, thinking, oh, Lee's first out front leading. He'd love that. Like, you know, the tr- you just have these little thoughts, going for, like in a little smile. And I thought that's not appropriate to be smiling right now. <laughs> like, But I honestly say it was like torture, actually, because it takes whether my memory is right or tricks me. But I have in my head that it takes about half an hour for each guy to come off the plane, come round and go into the car or they go into the resting place and then they're put into the car, I believe, to go to Wharton Bassett. And it takes about half an hour and you're only allowed, I think it's eight people at that time. So we were all standing like two by two, like there was me and I think it was Lee's dad and then my dad and Lee's mum and there was, you know, family behind us. But as you break down and then you just about pull yourself together for the next person to come off the plane, you hear the next family in line break down. And then the next family in line break down. And then the ne- and it's almost like you just stood there for ages in torture. And I can't remember if that was the times or whether my head's just done that to me, but it felt like a long time. And it was heartbreaking to hear the other families. I remember not being allowed, we weren't allowed to go to Wooten Bassett and see the cars come through because of there being so many that day. There were so many people at Wooten Bassett that we were told for security risks you know, these families aren't allowed to go. So you're going to watch Wooten Bassett on a screen. I was like, but I want to be wherever I can be with Lee. So it was really difficult, but there was nothing I could do about it. So I didn't get to go to Wooten Bassett until after. Well, I was told I wasn't meant to, but I did because I was just like, I don't care. Like, I'm going. <laughs> I wanted to see, I wanted to see the flowers that had been laid. I wanted to see the path that he went down. I just wanted to see what Bassett, like you said, everyone was talking about it. The support from that town was incredible at that time, you know, especially, you know, I wanted to see that part. And I actually went and I read some of the flowers and I, you know, sort of paid my respects. And then I actually went for a drink in one of the bars. And it was incredible because actually I met, Lee served with the Second Royal Tank Regiment. And I actually met some of the, the old guys, the veterans that had served years and years ago. And they sat with me and we just talked about the regiment and they told me stories and I spoke about Lee. And it was actually a really nice way in a weird way, you know, to have that. And I just felt that closeness again, you know, you're around the guys that have served in that regiment. The one, one big thing, that stands out from RF Lynham was as the plane flew over us to the come and land, one of the dads from one of the other families shouted out, welcome home boys. And it still sends shivers down me now, like my hairs on my arms have stood up because it was just, I was just like, you're right. Like this is, this is them coming home. It's not how we wanted it to be, but this is, I can feel emotional now because it means that much. It was just, as he said, it was just sent a shiver where everyone was quiet. You know, it was so 
it was so sad and heartbreaking to see the plane come in and you know it's them and it's not how you wanted it or how it should be and then this guy just said that and I always think oh, I don't know who that was but that was incredible for me because I'm like yeah you're right this is well done like you've, you've done your country proud so yeah I'll stop now before I cry <laughs> I think we should all be so proud that that's how that all worked and as somebody that had seen it from the outside it was such a tough time for me god knows how anybody else got through it it was just a proud thing that we did and they deserved it and they they're home and they looked after yeah i've been so lucky years later that i even got to meet the police officer that escorted the cars actually to oxford so i feel like i've been so lucky personally that i got the boys that put lee on that plane in afghanistan you know i've seen the video of them doing the parade and putting him on that plane i knew the lads that put him on that and then when it landed at RAF Lynham, I knew the lads that took him off that plane and carried him home. And then when he went down and Bassett, I now have met the driver of the police escort that took them all the way to Oxford, you know. And then when Lee came to Norfolk to be buried, I knew the funeral directors. So and I've even been lucky enough to meet the nurse who saw Lee in hospital in Bastion. So I feel like I've kind of connected his whole journey apart the one route is Oxford to King's Lynn but you know I actually feel quite privileged that probably because of the charity that I've got to meet those individuals and feel like it's a really nice feeling to think you know Lee was never really alone and I've known everyone that's been with him on that journey but yeah Wooten Bassett was incredible and that was a hell of a time like I like you leading up to Lee's death you know you never really think where they are, do you? It's, for me, it was more like, oh my God, six months on my own with the kids, this is hell. Like, And Lee was my best mate, so I missed him, but I didn't really let myself think where he was. It's more of an inconvenience, isn't it? It's like, And then when there was an incident in Afghanistan and I got a phone call from welfare to say, you know, Lee's been involved in an incident, but he's okay, but this is all I can tell you at this time. And then someone was killed from Lee's regiment a few days before Lee. That's when that, you know, that just kicks in of, wow, like this is really bad this is where they are you know because I turned off the telly I didn't want to know the news I just wanted to shut myself out be a bit naive didn't want to think about where he was was just focusing on R&R &R, you know and him coming back and it is hard when you're told is like well I've had this nightmare how is this real I've dreamt this every night you know you how you sit in your bed and you think oh my god I haven't heard from him for a while I hope he's all right and for all we know they could be tucked up in bed in Camp Bastion safe as you know safe as sound all happy but we don't get any sleep because we're thinking oh, I wonder what they're doing and what they're up to and I hope he's all right and so when I was told it was it took me months before in fact it was almost medals parade when the other lads all come home that I made myself go because I needed to see he wasn't on the parade square it just felt like he was still on tour his toothbrush wasn't on the side because it was in Afghanistan. His cup wasn't on the side because he'd been gone six weeks. It was it was so difficult. The only difference was that the phone didn't ring and you didn't run to that phone to get it. You know, it's like that. That was a weird, like no one rings that phone apart from Lee and it's not ringing. That was the only, it took a long, long time, yeah, to actually even accept that he wasn't coming home. And you talk about the holiday nine months later, and that's what sparked the idea of specialist soldiers. Do you think that was probably the moment that it all settled? Yeah, to be honest, you know, I'm not going to lie. There were some really dark days, you know, especially at nights when the kids are in bed and you just, you're alone. And as amazing my friends and family were, you know, it was, yeah, it was incredibly hard. I just literally thought, well, I'm 28, my life's done. Like, that's it. Don't know what to do. I don't care anymore about anything. 
couldn't see any light. And then, yeah, with this holiday, they made me go on that. And I just think, thank God they pushed me to do that because that was my wake up call. And I always say it sounds so cheesy, but I literally did sit by the pool watching Kai just thinking, oh my God, like what have I been doing? This is not, Lee would be going mental at me. And I have not been living as you obviously you would expect but I was really I really had a moment and then I just started to think why has no one contacted me about Kynebrook you know I've heard from Army Widows Association I've heard from different organizations I was like why has no one reached out to me yet about them and how many other children have had a parent that has died serving our country and all these questions started going through my mind and so when I got back I was like right I'm going to do a bit of research which I did I had this money sat there and then I just said to my friend, I've had this idea and I'm going to do it. I just want to give them the opportunity to have that break. I want to raise enough money for a holiday home, but I also want to make sure that they, they almost join Scotties and become members. And, you know, we think about them at the tough times and they're part of that community. And I reached out to a couple of women had got in touch with me on Facebook just after Lee had been killed and they were just saying how sorry they were but also if I wanted to chat because you know their husbands had been killed in Afghan and Iraq a few years before so I got in contact with them and said you know I've had this idea but would you guys be up for it like maybe no one wants it maybe there's no need for it and then they were they were fully behind me as well so we went for it and that's kind of well it's just growing it's, it's not what I thought at all <laughs> I'd only ever worked in nursery schools and bars before. So it was completely an eye opener and a full time commitment is so very full on. I did not know what to expect. I definitely didn't appreciate the time, but I'm I'm so glad that it's where it is today and doing what it does. And yeah, I know it can go on further as well. So. So what is the plan? You've got this amazing charity that you clearly love. What is the plan going forward? What exciting things do you have in motion? So at the moment, we have the four programmes. We really work with the families and the children and young people to see what the need is, where the gaps are. And then we put plans in place as how we're going to fill those gaps. And then we go out and find the money to do that. So it's all driven by the families and the need, which I love. And it's all growing so organically. It's the other amazing thing about it. And so we have the SMARS programme where they engage, they do all those fun activities. And then when those tough times come, they come through to the support programme, which is a bit of a dip in and out of that programme. You know, we now offer um, online bereavement service to the children and young people. So they'll do like a few weeks or whatever is needed from the assessment of that online support. Lots of other things within that, you know, really trying to help our families to help their children almost, you know, to stop them from reaching those crisis points or, you know, trying to get in there earlier. And then we have our strides program, which is about recognizing, you know, the tough things like changing schools. So education is a big one. Development, you know, lots of them suffer from anxiety. So it's trying to concentrate on building confidence and resilience. So we offer some small grants and, we, you know, we do some group work as well. So that's all really exciting. And then Springboard is for 18 to 25 year olds. And it's a bit of all three of the other programs and very much about helping the young adults because we saw for a long time we only went up to 19 and then we saw this real need for you know you're a young adult i remember this one lad and he said to me you know i'm fine with scotty's finishing now i'm 19 but he said i, I will admit like just knowing you're there is sometimes really important and he said i'm about to go off to uni and leave home and i've always been the man of the house since my dad was killed and i'm leaving my mum and my sister and i'm a bit you know and i've now actually started to really feel the loss of my dad and I, and it was just something that really interests i thought i've never looked at it from that point of view 
so we now we've changed things so we now support up to 25 and it's all about that life choices life skills helping them reassuring them that we're there to help them their siblings you know and then the, the future is just developing those programs and reaching more children and young people that we could be helping because there's so many more out there that don't yet know about us or don't realize they could have the support from Scotty's. So working really hard on, on the awareness side, hence doing this podcast. And I know that everybody who's listened to this will be scraping their pennies together to send them to you. So how can we find you? Maybe we want to support you or maybe we are in need of some support from you. Where can we find you? Probably the best place is to go to our website. So it's just scottyslittlesoldiers.co.uk. But also we're on all the social media platforms as well. So there's so many different ways to get in touch. And I think the best thing to say as well is, you know, if obviously we need funds to keep the charity running and to be able to grow it, but there's so many other ways that people can help as well. Like, you know, we're always saying that just telling three of your friends about the charity and them telling three of their friends, you know, that word of mouth is massive, especially in the military community, you know, that's huge. And that's a really important thing as well. So it is, you know, liking us on Facebook or whatever social media you use, sharing our posts to help our engagement get up to reach more people, you know, there's not just funding but if people want to fund donate or fundraise as well we have different challenges on our websites we love to hear from our supporters and people so i would just recommend getting in touch with the team and helping where you can yes we all need to do that because scotties is something that we don't ever want to have to use but to know that our children have that if they need it means so much i so appreciate it and i just love it when military families even though the world is like, no, you can't do that. Don't be ridiculous. You can't do a whole charity. They're like, no, we can do it. We are military yeah. partners and we're going to rock it and we're going to try it because this needs to be done. So Nikki, huge thanks for stepping up and doing that. I love it. I love it. And it's so true. You never say no, do you? Like if something needs doing, then we'll do it. And that is part of the military. I think that vibe that we're going to do this and we're going to do it together. So, and I, I love that. I love our supporters getting involved with the charity and being on the journey with us as well. We've got a great thing called Overwatch as well. Sounds like I'm doing a plug, but Overwatch is kind of aimed at the military because then it's exactly what you said. It's, Scott is like, we always say, it's that club that no one actually wants to be a part of, but it's a great club to be a part of. It is that community. And Overwatch is about, it's like regular giving. So you donate every month, which adds to the security of Scotty's in return, 100% of that donation goes to our families program. So it goes directly on the children. And you then get a login to an online portal, which is a website that's exclusive for the Overwatch subscribers. And then we upload videos and podcasts, giving you exclusive behind the scenes footage of how we use your money and the work we're doing. And it's just, again, encouraging people to, you know, we're not going to send you a cuddly toy for signing up to do regular giving, but we're going to show you something even better and show you what we do so you know where your money's going and that's kind of you know watching over the children so overwatch it just felt like a really good thing to do so that's another way people can help as well perfect i love it thank you so much before we finish nikki is there anything else that you'd like to add just a big thank you i love when i talk to anyone from the military because you just all get it don't you so just a big thank you to everyone who listens because you're all amazing because it's not hard being <laughs> being a spouse of someone who's serving or, or serving yourself so um yeah just a big thank you to all those guys thank you for coming on honestly I like to share these stories because they're inspirational but also it's what happens when things go badly wrong in the darkest times and the fact that there is 
happiness there can be happiness and inspiration and positivity at the end of it so it's really important that we share these stories Nikki and I really thank you for being so honest with me because it's painful but you shared it and um, I know that a lot of people will be listening and have gained an awful lot from it yeah it's really important that Lee's never forgotten and we talk about Lee every day like definitely think about him every day and the kids still talk about him I've remarried got two more children my two youngest children weren't Lee's they know about Lee, they talk about Lee as well. He's very part of our family. And I think that is really important. You're right that, you know, but life, I don't know whether it gets better, it changes. That's what I like to say, it doesn't get easier, but it changes. And, you know, when I think of my 28 year old self that said, that's it, life's done. And now I look at what has happened since Lee's died. My family, you know, the way, you know, I've got two more children, life's gone on. Things can change and you can go on to live. Doesn't mean that that person's ever gonna be forgotten. It's a really important thing to remember. Yeah, a real testament to your hard work and of course, to lovely Lee. So thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you. Another massive thank you to Nikki. Please do go and see how you can support this charity. And as Nikki mentioned, it's a charity that none of us would ever wish to be part of, but what a difference it makes to know that it's there. So that's it from me for today, but I will of course be back next Friday with another episode, so I shall see you then.